With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Fresh episode of Crossed Up. Philly's coming off of a three-game sweep of the New York Mets at Citizens Bank Park this weekend. The Phillies are back, baby. Anthony, I know that we were down on this team after that sweep by the Orioles last week, but after this three-game series against the, the machine that is the New York Mets, you have to be feeling good about the direction of this team, right? Oh, yeah, Bob, absolutely. How can you not feel good about the Phillies coming off of a three-game sweep? Look, in, in, in all seriousness, we've been through this. It's, it's funny, you, you mentioned last week, like, we've seen this team before. Like, we talked about the same team last year and the year before that on this show. And we've seen this, too. We've seen this where one week they frustrate the hell out of you, and then the next week they, you know, play some really good ball, and then you sit there and go, all right, so what team are they really? Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing is going to be to see how they respond this week because if they stay on this course, well, that's a good thing, and, and you're, they're probably going to be a decent enough team to get into this eight-team playoff. But if they struggle again this week, uh, as they finally go out on the road after playing 16 of the first 17 at home, um, uh, then then we'll you know we'll be back to the same old same old next week. So I'm in a wait and see mode at this point. Yeah, and as you should be, I'm I'm very intrigued to see how this week plays out, especially the Boston Red Sox aspect of the week because. You know, you look at the Red Sox and, and Fenway Park, and this is a team that every year in recent seasons is just – they're a force, and they still have some pretty good players, but they've been a disaster this season. And the one thing that the Phillies have not been able to do is capitalize against bad teams. Well, here you go again where they have a situation where they can capitalize against a bad team. I think that the Red Sox know that their season – three weeks into this thing is is over. They're not a postseason team, and they, they know it. So yeah. the Phillies are going to go up there, and they're going to have an opportunity to, to do some damage against an inferior opponent. But they won't have Zach Wheeler, and they won't have Aaron Nola in that series. And they're also dealing with a couple of injury issues after yesterday's game, and I guess we should lead off with that just because we don't quite know as we record this what the Phillies are going to have in terms of availability when it comes to Roman Quinn, when it comes to Gene Segura, and when it comes to Jay Bruce. As far as Roman Quinn goes, he woke up on Sunday morning with a, an earache and a, a sore throat, reported his symptoms to the team. Joe Girardi, after Sunday's game, had said that you know he was, he was taking uh, precautionary measures. He was proactive about it. He passed some contract, uh, I'm sorry, contact uh, tracing tests. So the initial indications were good. But we just don't know yet what his availability is going to be, how long it'll take for Roman Quinn to come back. Obviously, Adam Hazley's already on the IL. And then Gene Segura left with a hamstring issue in the middle of yesterday's game, and Jay Bruce came out with a quad issue. So we don't know if this is a one- to two-day thing with these guys. We don't know if they're going to go out for an extended period. So that is something that we do have to keep in mind as we progress and, and the Phillies hit this road trip, which is, I think is a very big road trip because if they can have some success on it, 
they're positioning themselves roughly halfway through their schedule, which is insane, but roughly halfway through their schedule, they'll be in position to be a postseason team if they have a good trip here. Yeah, no, they will. Um, and that's why, that's why I say it's such an important trip for them um, because it's an opportunity really to you know, get themselves back into the thick of the discussion. Uh, I think at eight and nine, are they, are they at the eight seed at this point? Or if not, they're right there. They're kind well, of- I believe they're actually two games out of the division lead right now. And I believe they're also two games out of the playoff picture. As uh, Are they really two out? Okay. I thought they were, I thought they might be either even or at a game. Yeah, um, I, I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure. Interestingly enough, I, I tweeted this after the game yesterday, but it's amazing what a difference three games can make, especially when they're, they're three wins against a division opponent. But after the Orioles series, Fangraphs gave the Phillies a 38.7 chance of reaching the playoffs. And then after the Mets series, that number jumped all the way up to 59.3%. So at 8-9, and nine, the Phillies have a higher probability of making the playoffs than they do of missing it at this point through 17 games. Yeah, they're actually, they're actually only a half game out of a playoff spot. Oh, is it? Okay, so I misread it. So they're two out in the division and then a half game out yes, in, in the playoffs. Yes, two out in the division, okay. half game out of a playoff spot. Yeah. So um, – so yeah, so I mean, obviously these games matter more than anything else this week. I mean, this is a this is a huge week because at the end of this week, also when you think about it, Bob, you know, you get through this week, um, and you're at that point, the Phillies will have played what uh, twenty three games, let's say, or something in that general vicinity. You're more than a third of the way through the season, and the trade deadline is approaching next week. Who knows how the what the hell that's going to look like? I mean, I, that's crazy. I mean, most like like we thought, mostly everybody is still in the race technically with the exception of like maybe two or three teams. So I don't know if you're going to be able to add anything or, or what, but at the, at the, at the very least, you know what your team is and say, okay, what can we do at this deadline? You know, yeah, I mean, there are I only, important. there are only two teams in the national league right now that you can definitively exclude from the postseason. And that would be the pirates who are four and 14 and the San Francisco Giants, who are 8-15, are and 15, and they had a, a disastrous weekend. The Giants have the worst run differential in all of the National League at minus 43 after play on, on Sunday, and the second worst, I believe, uh, in all of baseball yeah. behind only the Mariners, who uh, are 7-16. and 16. So there's really only two teams that you can rule out in the National League from, from contention at this point. I think that there are maybe three or four teams in the American League. I know Boston. Obviously, it's been a disaster, as we just mentioned. Kansas City and Detroit, I think, are, are headed in the wrong direction. And then, like we said, the Mariners, uh, they're off to a rough start, as are the Angels. So you're looking at maybe seven or eight teams max that could rule themselves out. We'll see what happens in the next 13 days or so. I would imagine a team or two may join that group. But, yeah, the trade deadline should be very interesting. You would think the Phillies' biggest need is, is bullpen help. And if there's one thing that you may be able to acquire at that deadline, would, would be, you know, I'm not talking about high ceiling, high leverage relievers, but just functional arms that you might be able to get from a team that's no longer a contender. I would imagine the Phillies would be in that market. So it's, it's interesting. And you almost react to this season in the way that you react to an NFL season, you know, where you can you can destroy the team after they they lose to the Orioles and lose the way that they did to the Orioles and then you can kind of I don't want to say trick yourself or fool yourself into being optimistic or positive about the direction of the team after beating the Mets but I do give the Phillies credit in the sense that 
the way things were going, they could have very easily once again played down to the competition. Like the Mets are a bad team, right? Like before we got on the show, we talked about it. And we said, you know, what's the overall takeaway? Well, the, the takeaway is that the Mets stink. But yeah. the, they could have very easily not taken advantage of Walter Lockett uh, replacing Jacob DeGrom on Friday night. They could have very easily not gotten the job done and lost another Aaron Nola start, something they've shown a propensity to do, you know, over his last 11 starts, you know, the struggles that they had at the beginning of this season and then ending last season. They could have let yesterday's game specifically get away from them. I mean, I will say this, the way that the Phillies season has gone, how many times did you, you kind of feel like, or have you felt like, man, I saw this one coming, or this was a game they could have won and they let it get away from them, but they get in the middle innings, Wheeler gives up the two runs in the fourth inning. It looks like he's going to be out after five innings. He bears down, gets him through seven. Alec Boehm comes up with a huge game-tying double. One batter later, Andrew McCutcheon finally has his moment. And the Phillies get the job done. And that was a game they easily could have dropped yesterday. Yeah, it, it certainly was. It certainly was. And, and I think you, you highlighted something that I thought was really important in, in this game that it maybe gets overlooked a little bit. It's Wheeler getting through seven. Yeah. Uh, after that, after that fifth inning, because there's nothing. I mean, we've talked about how bad the bullpen is, but there's, you know, you can at least if you can minimize the amount of time the bullpen has to be in the game, then you have a much better chance of winning. Especially considering the Phillies have gotten really good production from their starting pitchers uh, for the most part. Four guys. Um, the, the fifth spot has kind of been shaky, but um, but at, at the very least, if you could get those guys through. Um, seven innings, uh, or in a doubleheader through five innings, um, then you're in good shape. You know, you're you're probably okay. You could probably get by. It's, I, I it's when, if you, if you have to pull one of them in the fifth or sixth, that's when you start to worry that there's no way they can hold a lead or come back if it's a if, a, if they're down a run or two. Yeah, in yesterday's game specifically, I thought that the Mets did the Phillies a favor. You know, Zach Wheeler after that fourth inning had thrown seventy pitches, and it looked like he was probably only going to give him five. And he goes out in the fifth inning, and he has a one, two, three inning, seven pitches. Yeah. And, and that kind of gave him some new life. And then he went out and had a fairly easy – I guess it was a sixth inning. He, he gave up a two-out double, I want to say, but then stranded the runner. And then he had a pretty quick uh, and clean seventh inning. And so he threw only 29 pitches to get through the final three innings of Sunday's game and retired nine of the last ten batters he faced. So for him to be able to give them that length and really just allow the bullpen – to, to only have to pitch two innings. And the Phillies did a nice job of tacking on. Again, the Mets made it easy for them to do so. The, the chopper that Real Muto hit the third base. I believe it was J.D. Davis double clutch the throw going across, and Dom Smith yeah. couldn't field a, a shin-high throw for whatever reason. That gave the Phillies a run. They were able to tack on. I believe Didi Gregorius had an RBI single later in the game, and that's what they're going to have to do. You know, I thought yesterday, in a way, was the recipe for, for success as far as it goes for this team get a good starting pitching performance, get a timely hit, get a home run when you need it, tack on late. Like, the ability to tack on late yesterday and win that game 6-2 as opposed to handing a 4-2 lead to that bullpen was so critical. Yeah. You know, not only does it kind of break the spirit of the opponent, but it also just gives wiggle room for a bullpen that very much needs wiggle room. And as I put in my story today, and you mentioned it before, the uh, show that when we were talking, it was only the third time in 17 games this season the Phillies bullpen did not allow a run. So, you know, you just hope from a law of averages perspective that we start to see more of that. We'll, we'll see. Stay tuned on that front. <laughs> so, um, the, the, one, the one pitfall that I can see this week 
Bob. Uh, and, and I give the coaching staff a lot of credit because they, they certainly lined up their pitchers appropriately. You're, the, the tougher games are at the end of the week in Atlanta, of course, and, you got, and you're going to have, you know, Noel Wheeler, Arietta, I believe, right, is the third guy uh, that'll throw on Sunday. So you're going to have your best pitchers throwing against the Braves, which is great. But I think what is a, what is a tough thing that, that maybe is kind of a little bit overlooked, or you go to Boston for two, that's fine. And then they snuck in that makeup doubleheader against Toronto on Thursday. So you're going to go from Boston to Buffalo, which is not necessarily a far trip, which is fine, but you're only in Buffalo for the day playing two games. And then you got to take a long flight to Atlanta to get ready to play the Braves. I think yeah. that that's, you know, it, you, know you, you, you don't think about it too much, but travel's a grind, right? And, and it, for these guys to have to play, you know, two games in one day in a city that you're only in for a day and then travel from Buffalo to Atlanta, which is not a short trip and then get ready to play a three game series against the Braves. That's a, that's a tough thing to do. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm kind of interested to see what impact, if any, does the lack of travel have on this team? Like, so is the fact that they should be relatively well rested and haven't traveled. Like, does that help the fact that they're going to have to do all this travel later in the week or are they going to be so, you know, unused to doing it. I mean, they have not gotten on a plane yet. They spent right. one day in New York City. They did not even stay over. So they've spent every day at home since they've reconvened for summer camp. This will be the first time that they've had to go over on, or, you know, go on the road, stay somewhere. So I don't know if they're going to be fresh with all this travel and it, it won't matter or it won't have as much of an impact or will the, um, you know, like, will there be a shock value to it? Well, I think there's, I mean, it's, to me, it's jet lag is the thing that I worry about the most. I mean, and when it's not necessarily that they're going to be going to a different time zone, which is where it really affects you. It's just the fact that, okay, we went on a quick flight to Boston. No big deal. Getting up there is easy, right? You play two games in Boston, Boston to Buffalo flight is nothing. It, it's probably an, it's probably an hour at most you're on that plane, which is fine. But the thing is, is you're, you're leaving Boston. So they play, uh, it's an afternoon game in Boston on, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, so, you know, we're probably leaving around what, seven, eight o'clock at night. You're getting on a plane, you're flying to Buffalo. Um, you're getting in, checking into your hotel, and then you're getting right up the next morning, pack your bags, have it all go to the plane again, play two games in Buffalo. And then you got to take that flight to Atlanta. So I, I think that the, the interesting game to me is Friday night. It's a good thing that that's the NOLA game, but I, I worry about Friday night that you know to be honest what they should do is they should put nola on a commercial flight get him down to atlanta early so he doesn't have to do this all this trap he's not playing these these th games well, in you better make sure that 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 commercial flight doesn't have anybody else on it then because i think that that's <laughs> the, the that becomes the concern you know you don't want to expose yeah. a guy to the the general True. population and that's true that's now a consideration because I think in any other circumstance, you, you probably would consider doing that. Yeah, um, I, mean, yeah you gotta get, I think you should get him down there because there's no reason to make him do all that traveling for nothing. Well, speaking of Aaron Nola, and, and one of the things that I guess uh, if you really want to get optimistic about this team and where, where things are headed, one thing that you have to feel great about uh, after, after Saturday night is not just that the Phillies are now winning Aaron Nola starts, but the way that he's pitching. I mean – you know, we could say what we want about the Mets, and I know that McNeil didn't play, but they have some capable hitters, especially in the top half of their lineup. Yeah. And Aaron Nola was dominant yet again for the third consecutive start. And 
you look at the season now that, that he's putting together, and I thought that 2019 was a, a bit of a disappointment, even in the first half. I know he had his games where, you know, he looked like himself, but he couldn't consistently string those games together. And then certainly September and down the stretch, he was very ordinary, quite frankly. Uh, but now here he is to start 2020, four starts in. He's pitched nearly 27 innings. Forget the ERA, which, I mean, is obviously impressive, a 205 ERA, but you look at the whip. Mm-hmm. 6-4-6, 0.646. He's giving up 4.4 hits per nine innings. He's he's only walking about a batter and a half per nine. The strikeouts are through the roof, 12.6K per nine right now, which would easily be a career best. I mean, he's been sensational, and he looks every bit the ace that that the Phillies had hoped he would be when they signed him. and. It's so nice to, to kind of get back and you thought you had this in him for a while where you, you see his turn come up in the rotation and you expect to win. You don't expect to get six innings or three runs or, or him to give up that, the wrong hit at the wrong time, which was this pattern that was starting to develop with him. He's been awesome. And to solidify him and have that type of arm at the very top of your rotation every time through is just such a big boost and something this team, I think, can really – feel good about as it moves forward here yeah bob and, and look i know you're you're the guy who has um access to i mean I, well we all have access to but you look it up more than much more than i do but you have uh, you look up the stuff about uh you know how often he's throwing certain pitches and and etc cetera, etc cetera. i'll tell you just from being an observer of watching the games i feel like he's throwing that change up a lot more than he used to yeah i, he feel, is. I feel like that's the difference with between last year and this year is I think that that third pitch that is really, really good is really what's – you say good good hitters are coming up there. I mean, he stymied the Yankees lineup too, and it's because I think he's get, giving them – he's got another weapon in, in the arsenal that it's like, okay, well, what am I going to get here? I'm thinking off speed, but am I going to get the curveball or am I going to get the changeup? Right. Uh, and that changeup's got a little bit of a drop to it too, which is nice. Um, and I think that that has been the biggest difference between – 2019 Aaron Nola and 2020 Aaron Nola. Yeah, I agree with you. And he's actually is throwing the change up about 10% more of the time than he did yeah. last season. And so there has been a jump in that. It's not just that he's throwing it. It's not just as simple as you said, featuring the pitch. It's that it has some drop to it. It has that late movement through the zone. And yeah, it has made a huge difference. And, you know, he kind of just poo-poos everything. You know, you ask Aaron Nola probably, you know, when he when he gets married or has a baby, like, was this the best day of your life? And Aaron Nola will say, like, well, you know, it was, it was good. It's, like, <laughs> it's hard to really get him to engage, but, you know, he yeah. was asked about it. This is clearly something that you're doing differently this season. What do you think? And he goes, well, you know, I'm just game planning the way that I usually do, but situations have presented themselves where this is this is just kind of what we've gone to and to this point he's had a lot of success with it it's it's nice to see and really on top of that I think he spotted his fastball uh with a little bit more consistency uh lately as well and and so those pitches all three of them rolled together have have basically created an unhittable mix over his last three starts so super encouraging to see that and for the first time in, in what feels like for forever I you probably would have to go back nearly eight seasons Phillies don't just have a good arm in, in the number one spot, but they can back it up with a really good pitcher in the number two spot. And so you look at what Zach Wheeler's done thus far, and it's interesting. I, I wanted to talk to you about Zach Wheeler because, again, you look at the numbers. He's 3-0 and through four starts. ERA is under three. You know, I, I look at 
like if you just go through the numbers overall, like the, the whip is okay, 1.208. He's given up some base runners, almost a hit per inning. But what I look at, and the thing that baffles me about Zach Wheeler, and exactly it's, what you're going to say, it's part of what makes him good, or what has made him good, and especially yesterday, it was it was beneficial to the Phillies. But for a guy that averages 97 plus with his fastball and six, strike anybody out. <laughs> he cannot generate swings and misses. I mean, it is absolutely crazy. Yeah. You know, Zach Wheeler by trade has never been a big strikeout pitcher, but you know, last three years, I'll give this to you in 2017, um, you know, 8.4 Ks per nine. 2018, 8.8. Last year, 9 per 9. So he strikes out about a batter an inning. This year, that number is down all the way to 4.2K per 9. And so in in a game and in a sport where the strikeout is, is valued so heavily and that the strikeouts are really through the roof, he doesn't strike anybody out. And, and yesterday, like we said, it was really helpful. It helped him kind of be a little bit more efficient and get him into the seventh inning. But my goodness. Nobody swings and misses at his stuff. No, I know. I, it, it is baffling. The only thing I can think of, Bob, and, and maybe I'm wrong with this, but this, just cr- trying to figure it out, right? Um, uh, maybe that it, it, he locates his fastball well, right? Find, it moves it around uh, and gets it into different spots uh, within the zone, and it, it induces weak contact. And maybe that's, and maybe that's what, what's so good about his fastball. Yeah, he throws it hard. But, you know, he doesn't just throw it hard in the same spots. He's able to pick corners. He's able to go, go to the top of the zone, throw it down in the zone. He could throw it in so many different places. Um, but I will say, we, we talked about this. I remember, if I'm thinking back, when the Phillies signed him. Um, and I remember looking up, like, his career numbers. And I, he's really not as good as you would think with two strikes on a batter. Um, and, and that's kind of an interesting thing. Like, is, is it pitch selection? Who knows? I, I, I don't – I can't really identify it. Um, but nevertheless, so far, it's, it's working. I mean, he's not giving up a ton, like you said. Uh, you know, he's giving up a hidden inning, basically. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny. Yesterday, specifically, in the third inning, there were tons of foul balls. And that was what – that kind of ran up his pitch count. He had a battle with Michael Conforto, and I believe it was an eight-pitch at bat. And after yeah. a few fouls, he finally he, – he ripped off a curveball down in the zone and got Conforto to, to swing and miss to end that inning. But even in the fourth inning, on the uh, two-run single that he gave up, he was ahead in the count 0-2. And there just like wasn't that swing and miss put away pitch in that at bat. And it was the only time he really got hurt with it yesterday. One thing I will say, and I, I give him credit, is that he's not giving up a ton of hard contact. In fact, yeah. most of the hits he surrendered yesterday were were kind of bleeders or just found holes or or what have you. So he's only allowed well, one home run in four starts. Yeah. And and, and really in, in today's game, I, I'm I'm thinking that while you would like to see maybe nine or ten strikeouts per nine innings maybe it's okay to have an anomaly, you know, to have somebody that, that kind of goes against the grain and does it a different way. And he was asked about the, the lack of swing and misses. And just a quick stat for you yesterday, because I'm looking at it here. I, I put this in the story, but he threw, um, when he threw his fastball or his sinker yesterday, the Mets took 42 swings. And he averaged roughly 97 miles per hour with those pitches. They swung and missed. In those 42 swings, just three times. Mm-hmm. That's 7%. That's very low. And for the game, they took 49 total swings against them in, in seven innings, and uh, they whiffed five times, which is roughly 
10%. And so that is a, a, a low total. I mean, there are plenty of guys that can consistently generate 20%, 30 uh, 30% swing and miss rates. So he's not generating uh, those swings and misses. He is generating contact. Um, but here's what he said, you know, talking about it. And he says, um, that's always kind of been my thing is to get ahead, stay ahead, and just get quick outs so you can go deep into games. When I first came up in the big leagues, all the older guys were telling me you want to go seven innings or more. So that kind of always stuck with me, and that was always my goal. Then he talked about how his command has improved in, in recent years. And he said, I had a lot of starts. And tell me who this reminds you of. He said, I have a lot of starts where I would go five or six innings and throw 100 pitches. He said, I didn't want to be that guy anymore. And so his game has sort of evolved and he's invited more early contact. And, and to this point, it's certainly helping him. Yeah. I mean, and like you were pointing out, that sounds a lot like Vince Velasquez, yeah. right? Who we will uh, probably see start a game this week in, in light of the fact that the Phillies will play a doubleheader on Thursday. I, I would think I would think both he and Howard pitch on Thursday, right? Yeah. Like so in, against Toronto, I don't really have anything to add on Vince Velasquez at this point. I, I think that we've we've kind of addressed him, and I don't know what to expect from him in any given start. But I do want to touch on uh, Spencer Howard real quick before we kind of move on. You know, I thought that his start on Friday night was. Um, disappointing in a lot of ways in a variety of ways and I don't want to say that I'm concerned about Spencer Howard because at least from a long-term perspective I'm not but it is clear through two starts that he is not a finished product and I don't know that anybody could realistically expect that of him upon first coming up but this is what I was afraid of you have a guy that has a lot of talent that is being thrust into a situation where the Phillies really do need him to perform for a variety of reasons um, and, and part of that is to get Vince Velasquez into the bullpen and, and add an arm there, but he's still struggling with the off speed stuff. I thought his off speed stuff actually took a step backward on, on Friday night from his first start and the fastball again, talk about not generating swings and misses location has struggled with the fastball quite a bit through two starts. And while you see the talent you see the arm and you see the stuff, he hasn't quite put it together yet. And to compound that issue, he got absolutely no help on Friday night from his defense, whether it was Roman Quinn missing a ball completely, losing a ball in the twilight, Bryce Harper misjudging a ball with the wind to right field, Jay Bruce on his heels in left field, letting a runner go first to third in the first inning, JT Romuto with a rare throwing error on a steal attempt at second base that wasn't knocked down by D.D. Gregorius. It was just a host of errors uh, in his three-plus innings of work. So he got no help from his defense. He wasn't particularly good. Got burned on a couple off-speed pitches that he left up in the zone for home runs. And then he develops a blister and has to be removed from the game. And you can see it on his face afterward. You know, he talks about how he's going to use it as a learning experience and this is what's going to happen. Conditions aren't always going to be perfect. But you could see that he was disappointed in his performance after Friday night and I just hope that this doesn't snowball on him in a way where he starts to say, I, I was ultra confident. Everything was going so well for me. And now here I am. And, and can I do this? And, and will I be effective this year? Yeah. I, you know, I, it's, it's an interesting thing with, with Wheeler to me, Bob, because with, with, or, Howard, um, yeah. uh, with Howard to me, because um, I don't know. I, you're right. The Phillies need him um, to be, something um to, to provide at least five innings in that number five spot 
um, because they need to move Velazquez to the bullpen to try and make the bullpen a little better. Not that Velazquez is, is a you know great pitcher for the for the bullpen. It just is what it is. I mean, that's how bad the bullpen is. Um, I, I guess my my concern here is that he's not. I mean, he's not ready. Um, you know, through two starts, we kind of saw. You know, the first start wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. And then, of course, Friday, like you said, was just not a, not the best kind of start. And then he has the blister issue as he's trying to throw that that curveball over the top. Um, what is the other option? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like they have another another choice to go to unless unless you're going to you know bring back Nick Pavetta, right? I mean, what are you doing? in that five spot unless, you know, maybe, maybe Ranger Suarez gets healthy at some point and, and can come up that, I mean, these are the, you know, your options are not good. Yeah. Now Ranger Suarez is throwing against uh, Phillies hitters at the satellite camp. So yeah. that's a positive. And you know, the thing is, it's not just, well, are you replacing Spencer Howard with Vince Velasquez in the five spot? The reality of the situation is that you're going to need six starters with all the double headers. This team yeah. is going to play and, potential rainouts it's just going to get worse the schedule is only going to become more of a mess you're for the most part throughout the remainder of the season going to need a six starter so I think unless things just get out of hand where where he is completely ineffective and, and can't survive four innings without keeping you competitive I think you're going to continue to see Spencer Howard go out there I, I think that while it's clear he's not a finished product and that that he needs some more polish I think he's shown enough where you can reasonably expect his performances to get better in the coming starts. Not a guarantee, yeah. but I don't see I don't see a guy that's going to go out there and dominate for you right now, but I do think that the fastball velocity is still a tick down. The location aspect of it is still a little bit off. The secondary stuff isn't quite as sharp as it can be. And these are all things that I think that he can refine and, and find here in the coming starts. So – while I don't expect to get seven innings, two runs or less out of them, I do expect to get competitive starts, five, six innings, holding opponents to two, three runs. So um, it's interesting. Like, if let's say he stay, if he stays in the rotation, I'm, I'm just kind of like looking at the schedule. He doesn't. He he's not getting anybody that's above 500 for a while. I mean, really. I mean, so this is this is where you can kind of see what he has and kind of develop. You got Toronto. Washington twice and the Mets would be his next four starts. Um, the fifth start would be the Marlins uh, when they have that wonderful seven game series in Miami. Um, <laughs> but, week long extravaganza. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, so I mean, that's really, I mean, I think you'll be able to, to find out. Not to say that, you know, I think Washington's probably better than their record is a little bit. Um, so two starts against them may be a little bit – I might be a little facetious to say, oh, he's facing a sub-500 team. I mean, they are the defending world champs. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, I think that we'll see and they'll have, a, they'll have an idea um, maybe after the second start, um, you know, Toronto and then Washington. Maybe that's something you're looking at at the trade deadline. Maybe you look to add a, a veteran fifth starter who could also maybe flip into your bullpen come the postseason kind of thing. Um, maybe that's something that they try to add to. I, I could see that, uh, especially because of the need for the sixth starter, adding another option unless they feel that, that Ranger Suarez can be that guy. Um, are, they stretching, are they stretching Ranger out 
though? That's the question. Yeah, I believe so. I, th okay. I think that what they're doing is they're trying to create flexibility and work backwards with guys. What's okay. interesting about Nick Pavetta specifically, I had asked Joe Girardi when they sent him down, and I apologize if we talked about this on the last show, but when they sent him down, I asked Joe point blank. I said, are you sending him down there with the intention to keep him as a reliever? Or will you keep him stretched out? And he said, well, there may be a day where we let him kind of work up his pitch count a little bit, but we want him to throw with consistency because if he comes back up here, in all likelihood, it will be as a relief pitcher. So I think that the Phillies in this organization have turned the page on Nick Pavetta as a starting pitcher unless a disaster scenario occurs where they need a guy, where they get seven, eight, nine deep into their options and they need him to revert back. But I think that moving forward, I don't think that Nick Pavetta is in this team's plans after this season. Uh, but if, if he does come back this season, I think it is going to be his relief pitcher okay. uh, and, and exclusively so. So um, that being said, yeah, the idea of adding an extra arm, uh, end of the rotation type of guy, if he's out there, I, I could see that scenario playing itself out. Um, one thing I do want to talk a little bit about is just what we saw from an offensive standpoint. Obviously, we expressed concerns in our last show about the offense and so many guys simultaneously slumping. Let's start with the two guys that have been on fire from the jump, though. JT Realmuto, again, I almost feel like you run out of superlatives. You run out of positive things and complimentary things to say of this guy. But, you know, the best way I can say it after yesterday's game is that he had three hits and you almost went, meh. You know, like <laughs> – He's up to 300 on the dot now. OPS is over 1,000. A three-hit day yesterday. Both Real Muto and Harper combined to be on base six times in eight plate appearances. Harper's second in Major League Baseball with, with a 1.165 OPS, hitting 364. These guys have been phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, one of your preseason predictions uh, was that Bryce Harper was going to put up MVP-type numbers. And so far he has. And yet, with that said, he's not been the MVP of the Phillies. <laughs> that's, that's how good Real Muto's been. I mean, so, so it's really, I mean, those two guys are just literally carrying this offense. I mean, yeah, you're get, I don't want to take away from you. Didi Gregorius has, has been decent. And then you got, you know, the guys who are uh, your part-timers who've done great, like your Andrew Knapp as a backup catcher is hitting. And Phil Goslin against lefties has done a nice job. Um, so you, know, you don't want to take away from those guys. But, I mean, really, from your general lineup of eight, it's two guys that have carried this team through 17 games. And, and you expect them to carry this team through another, you know, 43 uh, at this point. So, uh, yeah, there, you're, there's, there's not much more you can say. They have been worth every penny. And, and actually, Real Muto is probably worth more than a few pennies that he's being paid um, to be in this lineup day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the question becomes, can anybody support them? And this past weekend, we did start to see some glimmers of hope. You know, I was very critical uh, as recently as last week of Gene Segura. Well, Gene Segura had a nice series, you know, and, and I still look at his numbers overall, and I go, God, he's hitting 222, but he's got a 770 OPS. He's been functional, and in, in the last few games, he's picked it up. Mm -hmm. um, the concern obviously becomes, and we just don't know what his status is moving forward. We talked about at the top of the show, is he hurt? You know, he's had, I believe he's been on the IL now uh, four or five times throughout his career with hamstring injuries. That's apparently why he left the game last, uh, or yesterday, I should say, Sunday. So I just don't know where he's at this week. But 
he had been showing some signs of improvement in recent games. Uh, there's a guy I want to get to in a second, the first baseman. But before we get to him, talk a little bit about what we've seen from, from Scott Kingery. I actually felt, and, and I want to talk about Scott Kingery, who yesterday, it wasn't pretty, but he did piece together a multi-hit game. Mm-hmm. It was the first time in 18 games dating back to the end of last season that he had a two-hit game. His average is at 128, and his OPS is at 308. Those are obviously terrible numbers. However, he, when he spoke to reporters last, and I guess this was on Friday, I want to say it was, uh, talked a little bit about his situation and, and the effects of COVID coming back. And he noted that the energy level is still not 100%. His breathing still not 100%. And, and it's tough, right? Because, like, you don't want to make excuses for yourself, but you also want to be honest about your situation and your experience. And he said, you know, I had a back injury. It wasn't anything crazy. I could play through it, but the back injury then led to a shoulder injury. And I'm kind of dealing with the COVID stuff, and I'm healthy enough to be out there and play. And so I think if you're kind of like a – a traditionalist, you say, well, dude, if you're out there on the field, you got to figure it out. And I, I think that I sort of, to an extent, do feel that way. Like, you, you got to be better than 128 with, with a 308 OPS. That being said, I, I think, A, that Scott Kingery still is a talented player, and then, B, these injuries and the aftermath of COVID is more than enough to, to provide me with a reasonable justification for his slow start. They are. And, and, and I think it's very fair to say that that's you know why he's had a slow start but is it also possible that it's a convenient excuse for a slow start as well sure so and, and, and we don't know and i'm not i'm not trying to sit here. i'm just playing devil's advocate yeah no absolutely that, i mean you know it's worth i think it's worth looking at from a few different angles and of yeah. course now you know people want to build in the idea of well you know, it's a shame for the kid because he was playing second base and he was finally going to get that defensive consistency and, and now he's going back out to center field. I just don't believe it. And I know we've talked about it. I think we talked about it recently. I just, for him, I don't think it matters if he's standing in center field versus second base. I, I, ideally, he would play second base. But, oh well. And, and when you hit 100 to start the season, regardless of the reason why, Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, like if, if Scott Carey came out of the gates and was hitting 420 right now, I'd say, don't do anything, figure it out. Put Kyle Garlic out there. Right. Don't mess with this kid. <laughs> but, you know, there's just been no correlation between him playing second base and him being a successful hitter. And so the Phillies and, and out of circumstance now, considering that Hazley and Quinn are both out of the, out of the lineup for the time being, they, they kind of have to do this. Yeah. And, and I'll say this. And, and as a person who believes in, trying to get a little bit more consistency for players. I, I, I said it on this show last year. I felt that if you put Kingery in one position, it would help him. Uh, obviously, you know, circumstances being what they are, that hasn't been the case this year. That said, I don't necessarily think that they're, that you, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to being flexible. I'm not opposed to guys giving you options to play multiple positions. I just don't think you should go shortstop one game, third base one sure. game, second yes. base one game. Seven. Like, I think that is where it becomes an issue. I agree but with you. Having, playing, a guy play, if, having a guy play four positions in a seven-game stretch, I think, is, is asking a lot. You know, right. But if he has to bounce back and forth between center field and second base and he's playing them in, in succession yeah. or, or successively. I don't think that's as big a deal. Yeah. I'm, you know? I'm hoping 
I am hoping because I think that if, if you play baseball, you coach baseball, you've watched enough of it over the years, you do know that sometimes one game, one swing can kind of flip a switch for a guy. And, and he got a couple cheap hits yesterday, and I, I would hope that maybe, just maybe, the multi-hit game gives him a chance to breathe and say like, okay, I can do this. I'm getting healthier. I had a few days off. I'll be all right. You know, Kingery was off his feet for two games, and then he has the off day today. Hopefully that gives him a chance to get caught up here a little bit, and, and it would be just huge. And, and needless to say, I'm not talking about Scott Kingery becoming a, a 320 hitter here from here on out, but if he, they can just get league average production from him, it would just be so massive for this lineup, and it would really stretch it out quite a bit. Now, the other guy I want to talk about before we get to Reese Hoskins, who I feel like we dedicate a, a segment of each show to Reese Hoskins, <laughs> but do you want to talk a little bit about Andrew McCutcheon, who you had to feel good for yesterday, um, finally hits his first home run since he had his ACL surgery last year, over 430-plus days in the making, and uh, the Phillies kind of caught a break. I mean, obviously, you hope that Jay Bruce is okay and that he doesn't you know, have a prolonged absence in front of him, but... Andrew McCutcheon comes into the game in the fifth inning, and then he pops the two-run homer to give the Phillies the lead. Uh, and it was it was a big spot for him. And again, a guy that you're just you're hoping can kind of get going. You know, Girardi talked about starts and stops from McCutcheon still looking a little bit awkward, but he seemed just absolutely relieved yesterday uh, after the game to finally hit that home run, come up with a big hit for this team, and you again hope that maybe that's something that, that sparks him. You know, he's only hitting 192 with a 528 OPS right now. They have to get more out of Andrew McCutcheon, and, and I'm expecting that they'll get it as he gets his feet underneath of him right. uh, and, and kind of works his way back from this thing. And I really hope it does, you know, for, for, for this team's sake. Well, the, the, the interesting thing I thought about the conversation with Joe Girardi after the game yesterday about McCutcheon um, was when I forget who asked the question, Bob. Maybe you were, will remember. But when they asked, you know, with Quinn and Hazley being out, and now with Jay Bruce potentially missing time, are they okay with McCutcheon getting the brunt of the work in left field, especially since you know Bruce had been playing out there consistently? And Girardi didn't say, didn't give it a yes. No, he, he kind of. Kind of talked around it a little bit and said, "Well, yeah, we'll see what we have to do." So obviously, that there's a I think that there is still a concern about McCutcheon playing in the field, um, at least on a, on a regular basis. So it makes you wonder what the what the solution would then be with left field, um, unless you know, unless Adam Hazley's close to returning. Maybe that's a quick ten day thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you have any kind of kind of take on that? Because to me, you certainly want to keep McCutcheon's bat in the lineup, even though it hasn't been great so far this year. I, I think that there is, you know, the ability for him to turn it around and, and get it going because of the kind of hitter that he is. And maybe that home run is just the spark that he needs. Um, but he did have a clutch two, uh, two run single the other night as well, um, which was an important hit. Uh, Anyway, the, the fact is that what happens in left field now, at, at least in the short term, um, because that, that wasn't the, the answer I was expecting to hear from Joe Girardi. Yeah, I think the answer was revealing from Joe Girardi. And uh, before Andrew McCutcheon entered the game yesterday, I, you know, as I'm sitting at the park and I go through my story, I, I segment everything out. And one of the things I was going to write about was how Andrew McCutcheon did not start in left field on Sunday for the third time in four games. 
And he obviously rewrote that script with his home run, and we all felt good about it. But the reality remains that the Phillies elected to play Jay Bruce, who is a uh, is an inferior defensive player. Right. You know, I mean, it's not like he's out there for his defense. The fact that Jay Bruce is, is taking down starts in left field, I think, is pretty revealing about where Andrew McCutcheon's comfort level is right now on a day-to-day basis playing left field, and then he's just not ready to do it. Combine that with the fact that Joe Girardi, in spite of the fact that Adam Hazley's unavailable, in spite of the fact that that Roman Quinn is unavailable, I think it is very revealing that he didn't say, yeah, I mean, Andrew's just going to have to to suck it up and be out there. I think we're going to see some Kyle Garlic mixed in there. You know, yeah. Andrew McCutcheon will probably DH, but I would expect to see a scenario where where they're going to come up with ways to try to keep him out of le- or you know out of the lineup defensively on you know for three straight days. I mean maybe you see him take two out of three every series but I think it's pretty clear that the Phillies preference right now is to to not have him out there every day, which yeah. is unfortunate because you would have hoped with the extra time bought by COVID and all of the delays that uh that it would have been enough time for him to be out there and feel comfortable day in, day out. But it, it just does not materialize that way yet. And, and maybe you, it will, but yeah. not yet. It's interesting that you say that, Bob. And, and you know, this is we'll – never, we'll, we'll never know. But I, I do think that it, it's probably been to the Phillies' benefit that they had a shortened season because if this season started in April, there was no way McCutcheon was going to be ready. We know he was going to start the season on the DL – but would he have been ready by May? Would he have been ready by June? I, I don't yeah, think so. I, I think it would be hard to say that. I think that <laughs> you know? he probably would have been making his way back right about the time the season started. And, and yeah. possibly he would have tried to accelerate that process. But if this is what you're getting out of him now, I don't know what Andrew McCutcheon on, on May 25th would have looked like. Right, exactly. You know? so, exactly. And, and again, it's, it's not to be uh, critical of him. It's just the, the reality. You're talking about a 33-year-old guy who is coming off of a major surgery who needs more time, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm, I guess, more optimistic that as he plays more and the confidence comes back and some good things start to happen, that things can snowball for him in a positive direction. Now, uh, I do have one uh, note. Please remind me to, to mention this before we get out of here. I do have something on David Robertson for you. Um, so I, I will bring that up before we get out of here. But the last guy I want to talk about offensively is Reese Hoskins. He's obviously generated a ton of conversation. We've talked about him quite a bit in recent shows. Has a huge three-run basis clearing double on Saturday night that, that mm-hmm. really gave Aaron Noll and the Phillies some breathing room in that game. Talking about big hits, perhaps sort of propelling a guy or, you know, getting a guy going in the right direction. I was hopeful that that hit would do it. And I wanted to see him come out on Sunday and, and bang out a multi-hit game, maybe hit his first home run in 28 games going back to September 17th of last season. He's, he's, I believe over 120 plate appearances now without a home run. But that being said, he still is getting on base as we've noted. And he, he hit over 300 this past week. Do you look at Reese Hoskins and say, okay, he's up over 200 now. He's hitting over 300 for the week. I'll take that. That's progress. Or do you think we're still kind of right back where we were and, and the concerns are all the same? Well, my, the only concern I still have is the lack of power. Uh, that, that is, that is an, a, 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 you know, a red flag, an alarm that's going off. Like, where is that? Because you're not even seeing it. Like, you're not even seeing – him drive balls to the outfield that are caught, right? Here and there, he's hitting line drives, but he's not hitting those big, you know, powerful swings out, out to the warning track either. 
Um, so that does concern me a little bit. But like you said, in the last week, and we're, you know, we're, he's got hits in six out of seven games, Bob. Um, and since the, since the uh, blowout loss in, uh, the, in the second game of the doubleheader against Atlanta, he's, gotten, um, he's hitting 308. So, you know, that's, that's pretty good. Um, and he's, still, he's doing that while still walking. He's got four walks in that same span as well. So um, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a baby step comeback kind of thing for him. I don't think it's, it's all, all of a sudden we're going to see the Reese Hoskins that burst onto the scene uh, as a rookie and, and you know, hit all the set records for home runs and stuff like that. But I do think that these are good steps for Reese Hoskins. And, you know, if he's getting a hit every game or two hits, you know, one or two hits a game, obviously that's great. Um, but he only had the one over against Baltimore. Other than that, and that was the, that was the game with the three double plays, and then he sat the next day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you take that game out of the mix, I think this has been a pretty, pretty big improvement for him since we last talked about him. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, like you said, his last 26 at-bats, eight hits, 308 average, 438 on base. Like, those are all good things. So, numerically and from a number standpoint, you do have to feel good about the incremental progress here. I would feel a hell of a lot better if he would just launch one 380 somewhere into a gap. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, base is clearing double, struck that ball very well. He's, he's had a couple other ones where I believe he hit one of the deepest part of the park the other night where it kind of clanged off that corner out in left center. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been some progress on that front, but until your first baseman starts hitting with some more consistent power, namely starts hitting some home runs, I, I still have to pause. In yesterday's game specifically, he comes out and it was funny. Baseball's a weird game, right? His first 65 plate appearances of 2020 had one RBI. And then in a matter of three plate appearances from Saturday night, bleeding over to the first inning Sunday, he had four RBI. So again, you're talking about like positive things happening, getting things moving in the right direction. Maybe that'll do it. But then he comes back in his subsequent at bats yesterday. I believe he struck out two times and he also had a, I want to make sure I say this correctly, but he did, he was ahead in the count. He had a very hittable pitch kind of middle, middle, and he didn't do anything with it. I believe it turned into a foul out, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it was just like one of those situations where you're like, damn, dude, like, get that, like, hit a ball into a gap, get that second hit, and really get this thing moving. And I thought that yesterday he kind of had the flare single and then four bats after that where I was like, eh, you know. And, and so while I'm encouraged, and I will certainly take it at this point, considering the guy is hitting essentially like a buck 84 since the All Star break of last year. Um, I was just hoping that he would have that breakout game where he finally hit that home run and had that relief yesterday. Yeah. I, so the one thing that, that is, that has always bothered me about Hoskins is that I think he's too selective. I think that there are times uh, that in every at bat where he is given a pitch to hit and watches it. Um, yeah, he had, of course he had some issues with his swing at the second half of last year and the very early part of this year. I, I, I'm starting to see the swing kind of get better, right? You start, like I said, he's, he's hitting line drives. He's almost there with the swing. I just wish he would be, more, would be a little bit less selective. The walks are great. Don't get me wrong. I, I like walks. I, I, a walk is, is as good as a single, right? It's the same thing. So I'm, I'm not trying to say don't walk. What I'm trying to say is if you have that – guys are throwing a fastball, like 93, right over the heart of the plate – and you're watching it go by because you want to have an extended at bat, to me, that doesn't do you any good, 
Like I, I would rather he be more aggressive early in the count if he knows he's going to, if he sees that fastball coming. That, that's right. the only thing because I think he then puts himself into tough spots sometimes where he's got to hit a better pitch from the pitcher as opposed to take the one that, that they're just kind of grooving over there because they think he, they know he's going to look at it. Yeah, yeah. And, and to clarify, as you were talking there, I decided I just took a look. He, he flew out to right field. It was a weak fly out to shallow right. It wasn't a foul out, so I, I don't okay. want to misspeak. I want to make sure I'm giving the people the proper information here. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. You know, I, I, for as down as we were on, on Thursday or after the games Thursday, after the sweep, I, I feel better about what I've seen. I'm not like, the Phillies are back, <laughs> you know, but uh, I do think that, you're starting to see some incremental progress from guys that just got off to, to unthinkably bad starts. And if you can continue to get the starting pitching that you get, there's reason to, to believe here. And, and Alec Bohm, who we did not talk about, uh, you know, my, my knock on Alec Bohm, we talked about him, I think, maybe about two weeks ago now. I said, if you're expecting Nolan Arenado to come up, don't. You know, it, it, it just isn't going to happen. And there's there's two issues with Alec Bohm, and, and then I'll say a lot of nice things about him. Number one, I, I know that he's worked very hard at it and it may continue to progress and become a, a decent third baseman, but he's shown some, some concerning things uh, in a very small sample, and, and some of that is about getting acclimated, to be fair. Some of that, I'm sure, is nerves and just kind of maybe overthinking things a little bit, uh, but just two two really bad throws yesterday. One got by Reese Hoskins. Uh, Hoskins did a great job of getting after the ball and then throwing the runner out at the plate. And then uh, there was a routine grounder that he was coming across the infield and kind of just felt it out of his hand and uh, almost threw that away. Hoskins stayed on the bag. He had to stretch and go to the ground to get the out. Not great defensively down at third base, but that was to be expected. The one thing that I want to see, um, is, is power and he has a couple doubles and he's hit the ball with some authority, which I, I think is extremely encouraging, but I just would like, and I think everyone would feel better if they would see him too. And I, not that I expected him to do it yet, but I'll feel a lot better if he can pop a couple home runs and, and show that he has that tool in a, in a live game setting against major league pitching. Uh, that's my only concern this year for him. I think long-term he has that. I don't think he's ever going to be a 35 home run guy, but I, I do think he can be a 2025 home run guy. I just wonder this year if he has that. And if he does, he could be a really good player for this team right away. Yeah, he could. Um, I, I like his approach at the Love plate, his approach. Bob. Like I, I said, really I'm going to, I'm going to say nice things and that's, that's one of them. Yeah. I mean, his approach at the plate is to me is very advanced for a guy so young. You know, it's, it's what a lot of people like about Adam Hazley. Yeah. He gives you a professional grade at bat despite his relative inexperience. Yeah. And that's, that's the one thing that's really stood out to me watching his first four games. Um, you know, yeah, he had, you know, got the first, his first hit and his first at bat hit a double down the line. That's great. And yeah, he got a big clutch double to tie the game yesterday before uh, McCutcheon hits the, the go ahead home run. That's also great. But aside from that, aside from those like counting stats, right? Those those numbers that that are important that people pay attention to. Just watching how he stands up there and and, and approaches and attacks a pitcher, uh, to me is good. It's going to translate into a very good major league hitter. 
Um, it's weird because he physically resembles Jason Worth, but I also think that there's something in, in the way that he's at the plate that kind of reminds me of Jason Worth, too. Yeah, I mean, there were just there was so much to like about his at bat in the sixth inning yesterday, and we can like kind of go through it in layers. Number one, we talked at the top; they give up the two runs. They they left. I think they had seven hits. The Phillies did through the first four innings, and they had one run to show for it. Then Wheeler gives up the two runs in the fourth, and you're thinking to yourself, "Man, here's another blown opportunity." And it kind of just feels like the game's trending that way. And then JT Realmuto leads off the sixth inning with the double, and you go, "Okay, here we go." But DD Gregorius doesn't move him over; he flies out. Boom comes up. He falls behind 0-2 right away. Foul tip, and then he fouled off a second pitch. Then he fouls off another slider. He's still down in the count 0-2. And what's he do? He hits the ball with authority, and he goes the other way with it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to make mundane and routine accomplishments sound like Herculean feats, but the fact that you have such a young hitter who's willing to go the other way, it is a lost art in the way that baseball is taught and the way that that hitting is taught and and that it's taught in minor leagues and in, from a developmental standpoint for him to put an 0-2 swing on a 97 mile or a, a 91 mile an hour sinker and go the other way with it in the spot that he did to tie the game was so impressive to me you're right about it being a lost art and and i i think about it and i say Who's, who's the leading hitter in the American League this year? It's DJ LeMayhew. What did we see in that four-game series against the Yankees? Ah, he went to right field. Peppered right field. right field. And went to right field. He's still going to right field. <laughs> it's like I see it in my – Right? Okay. And that's, that's a right-handed hitter go, just going with the ball to the opposite field. Um, and, of course, you know, we grew up – well, I grew up in an era, and, and you remember him as well. Um, but Tony Gwynn made a Hall of Fame career out of going the opposite way. You know, like, I wish that more batters took this approach. It would would make the the game better. And for full disclosure, I'm the guy that is that understands when Bryce Harper bunts for a base hit. And, like, I get it, but I I also hate it because I just see the damage that he can do. But, like, situationally, it makes a ton of sense. You know, he likes to do it when there's a runner on first and nobody out. Sneaks one down there. All of a sudden, you got two men on. You got JT Realmuto, one of the hottest hitters in baseball, behind him. It makes sense from a baseball aspect, and you would think a guy like me that loves all that stuff would be into it, but it, it does. It sort of just, like, drives me a little crazy. I but love when it. I see when I see Alec Bohm go the other way on an 0-2 pitch, I just go, swoon, you know? And <laughs> so, I mean, while I do have concerns about his ability, and, like, you look at his size and you're thinking, like, this guy's going to come up and just drop bombs. Like, that's not quite what he is. Yeah. And I do think long-term he's destined to play first base, and I think I'd like a little bit more power out of a corner infielder, but I think he's got a chance, as I said, to be a really good player. And I, I don't want my overall assessment of him to come across sounding – disappointed or negative or anything like that because I think in a way this is exactly what this Phillies lineup could use so yeah I, I I'm okay see the thing is is that I'm okay if he's a high average you know good on base yeah 20 to 25 home run guy I'm good with that like he's to me that's fine of I will not out the person who said this yesterday but if you go back and I, I know people are like I don't care about your slack channel but one of the employees of crossing broad said i don't know this guy looks a lot like michael franco and i said that might be the stupidest (laughs) dumbest 
the most idiotic take I've ever heard. Ever. Like, there's nothing that even remotely resembles the, the two players. Yeah. In terms of approach and, and how they do things. Just insane. So, you know, that was one where I was like, I need to log out. You know, I, I just I, – I am not going to be able to, to have this conversation. Uh, so, I was, I was very, very pleased and have been pleased what I've seen from Alec Bohm thus far. Um, and before we get out of here, and I don't know if there's any yeah, – Let ahead. me ask you real, just real quick, yeah. just to final, finalize this. If Alec Bohm is Derek Lee, are you good with that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Here's a guy who, who's, who played in the league for, what, 15 years. He hit 281, 365 on base, finished with 331 career home runs. Right? I mean, and that's kind of like – so yeah. your, your, average, mean, your average season is 281, 28, 90. Are, are you good with that? Yeah, I am. If, if Alec Bohm's going to average 28 homers and 30-plus doubles for his career over 162-game season, yeah, hell yeah. Right. I'm all about that. So, yeah. for sure, uh, I would be into that. Um, th- that being said, I, I did want to talk real quick about David Robertson, who uh, spoke with a pool reporter uh, yesterday, and he had some interesting things to say. Joe Girardi in recent days has been – showing some optimism that David Robertson would be back this year. And you're talking about a guy who's 35 years old coming off a UCL tear, which is, which is a problem. And you just don't know exactly what it would look like even when he becomes fully healthy. But given the state of the Phillies bullpen, getting somebody back with his experience and his upside or what was his upside would be potentially tremendously huge for them. Uh, and he talked about how the coronavirus sort of uh, impacted his rehab and he was getting ready to, uh, in Clearwater back in June, throw from the mound for the first time the day that the outbreak hit the Phillies facility. So they had to send him home. He goes to Alabama where he owns a farm, and then he was just kind of doing some more casual throwing in Alabama rather than working through his rehab in Clearwater. So an unfortunate turn of events for him, but he says that he feels a lot better. Uh, he's starting to throw with a little bit more regularity. And he was uh, reluctant to put a timetable, an exact timetable, on his return. But he said if all goes well and things progress the way that he wants them to, that it's not an unrealistic possibility to think that he could be back sometime in the next three, maybe four weeks, which would put him right around a, a September 10th return. And you could theoretically get I mean, I don't know how the schedule shakes out, but anywhere between roughly 15 to 20 games of David Robertson being available in your bullpen in some capacity and where that could become particularly important is you could use those 15 to 20 games to maybe work him back into some type of rhythm. And should this team actually make the postseason, perhaps you have a healthy and confident and, you know, a pitcher that's, you know, shaking off some rust available for you in the postseason. So, yeah, it would be so that would news. so September 10th would be exactly 20 games remaining in the season. So if he could throw in, you know, nine or 10 of those. That's great. It would be a difference maker. You <laughs> it know, again, it's just put it on your radar. I mean, it's not like he's back. He's coming back. He's going to be. He's going to be David Robertson of, of two or three years ago. I'm, I'm not trying to suggest any of that, but given the state of the Phillies bullpen, boy, would that be a, a huge, huge get for them. Yeah, no, that would be. That would be like, that would be like acquiring 
a uh, bullpen piece at the deadline. So, yeah, you, you know, get him back, and, and then you acquire that bullpen piece at the deadline, and, and maybe you have something here. You know? Yes, and, yeah, maybe you do. Absolutely. And there you go, and that is me putting a nice little bow of optimism on what was a, a baby step of a weekend for your Philadelphia Phillies. Anthony, do you have anything else before we close this one out today? Um, I really don't. Uh, I did, you know, want to ask you a question about a guy. We were talking about the trade deadline uh, a little bit and the potential you'd go after a sixth starter if maybe Spencer Howard doesn't show you some more in the next couple of starts. What do you think about Johnny Cueto? <laughs> well, do you think that the San Francisco Giants and the Philadelphia Phillies have a good working relationship uh, because of one commonality in Gabe Kapler? I'm just saying. Uh, I mean, there's a guy that has no future in San Francisco. He has no future in San Francisco. Right. Well. He does have a year left on his contract, which is a, a pricey contract. I get it. So you probably have to give up something back for sure. But if you're losing, if you're taking Arietta off the books next year, and 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 you can you know plug the Cueto into that kind of role, middle of the rotation. Does that help you this year? Does that help you get through uh, into the playoffs and give you a, a, a nice four man rotation uh, in the postseason? Matt, are you still writing off JT Real Muto? Like, what do you mean? Like he, he when Real Muto comes off the books next year, you got Johnny Cueto. I didn't say Real Muto. Oh, uh, what did you? Who did you say? Arietta. Oh, Arietta. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. 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 Sure. I'm, I'm sorry. I thought you said Real Muto, and I was like, wait a minute. We're gonna part with JT Real Muto so we could absorb Johnny Cueto's contract? No, oh, Arietta. Yeah. No, Arietta. Yeah. I mean, sure. It would basically be a contract swap if if Cueto makes twenty one million dollars in twenty twenty one. I believe Arietta scheduled to make twenty million dollars this year. So yeah. That would basically be an even-out swap. And you look at Cueto, and the ERA isn't great, right? You go, ah, oh, it's in the look at his whip. But the whip is actually lower than Zach Wheeler's right now. So yeah. he's throwing the ball pretty well for a, a bad team and a team, frankly, that I – I mean, he's on the record. This isn't me making a, a guess or an assumption or reading between the lines. He basically isn't thrilled with the way that he's being utilized out there. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I would, see, I would say that Johnny Cueto probably is a trade candidate at the deadline. Uh, you obviously would not have to pay him a lot. The one thing I admittedly don't have full command of is what type of salary the Phillies can take on in 2020 without then affecting luxury tax. Well, yeah, but, but that's the question. That, and I think that that's what I, I was hoping you would say that. And, and admittedly, I, I don't. I don't really know where they're at and what they can take on at the moment. Irrelevant. It, to me, that's irrelevant because here's, the, here's what I was, I was hoping you would bring up, that, the, the luxury tax. Because to me, here's the question. If you, if you identify that at the end of this month you want to go for it, that you think that the team's playing well and you have a chance to go and get into the, get into the playoffs for the first time in, in eight years, and not only that, just have a chance to maybe, maybe make some noise in the playoffs – is the luxury tax really a thing that should be stopping you? No, it shouldn't be. I mean, from a okay. from a hypothetical standpoint here, like yes, it's like, hey, John Middleton, like you wanna you want your effing trophy back? Go do what you got to do. And and regardless of what the financial implications of that are, if you have an opportunity with a fair trade where you're not giving up any significant piece of your future to obtain this salary, then yeah, what the hell? Why not? The yeah. question then becomes though, if you like the rest of your rotation, are you willing to? You say, like, trade out with Jake Arrieta. 
I already know the answer to this. I just thought through it as I said it. Of course you would take Johnny Cueto because you're going to need that fifth starter after you lose Arietta because it's right. not like Nick Pavetta or Vince Velasquez is going to occupy or hold down that spot after this season anyway. So, yeah, right. there will be a need for a starting pitcher. It does make some sense on some levels. Um, the, reason I say, the reason I say it too, Bob, is this. Not only does Cueto replace Ari, not only does Cueto help this year, does he, re- he replaces Arietta in your rotation next year. Uh, it gives Howard another opportunity to kind of continue to develop and lower down in your rotation as maybe your four or five next season. And if you're the Phillies going into the offseason, you now don't have to worry about the starting rotation at all. Right. You can concentrate whatever money you're going to put into the offseason into hopefully re-signing JT Real Muto and the frigging bullpen. That's, you see what I'm saying? So it, 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 to me, it helps structurally with the team and the organization as it's moving forward, not just for 2020, but also 2021. Now, if you wanted to take more of a short-term fix and a cheaper one and one where you're not making a commitment to 2021 and you still want to look at the same team, Kevin Gaussman also makes some sense as well, yeah. who in a full season would have made $9 million this year. Sure. Unrestricted free agent after the season. Doesn't quite have the same, you know, name brand, postseason experience, high-profile type of guy, but you're still talking about a 29-year-old who's pitched fairly well in, in four starts this season. Again, one one seven whip. Has had some success on a really bad team. Again, a guy that I don't think is thrilled with, with where things are at. Uh, with that, that organization right now, probably won't be with the Giants beyond this season. Uh, even you know, as he becomes a free agent, probably won't sign back there. So the Giants actually have two starting pitchers that I'd be eyeing and, and I would possibly be having conversations about as, as this trade deadline approaches in a couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so that, yeah, that, was the, that was the last thing that I had. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We will be back. Uh, I, I believe we're on a nice little two-show track here per week right now. So we will check back in. I think uh, Thursday night we'll try to record after the doubleheader. That'll give yeah. us a, a nice sampling of games between the Blue Jays, the Buffalo slash Toronto Blue Jays and the uh, Boston Red Sox taking you into the Atlanta Braves series this weekend. So once again, I'm Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. Make sure that you are following, subscribing to Crossed Up, leaving us a five-star review. If you're uh, especially on Apple Podcasts, that's big for us. Please make sure that you're doing that. Also be sure to check out Snow the Goalie Flyers, 2-1 series lead against the Montreal Canadiens. The opening round of their postseason push, Russ Joy and Anthony breaking down everything you need to know about the Philadelphia Flyers on Snow the Goalie. Make sure that you're checking that one out as well. We will talk to you later this week.